You're listening to the Talented Others Podcast, a podcast dedicated to shedding light on some of the most talented people in advertising. Not the mad men, the others, the talented others. Welcome to another episode of the Talented Others Podcast. I'm your host, Corey D. Seaton. And this week, we're going to be featuring a really unique person, somebody who can shed a lot of light on the diversity and advertising issue. And her name is Rebecca Sanders, VP Director of Recruiting. Welcome, Rebecca. Thank you, Corey. I'm excited to be here. It's been a long time, ladies, since we've chatted. How are you? I'm wonderful. It has been a while. I want to say maybe eight years, maybe longer. Probably since I left Detroit. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's yeah. Facebook, but that's not real. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, welcome, um, and we, we look forward to talking to you. So let's t- learn about you a little bit. Where are you from? So I am born and raised in uh, Detroit, Michigan, uh, and then obviously, like many of us, uh, did a long stint in the suburbs. Um Went to uh, a small little private school uh, for elementary and high school and then headed out to uh, Hampton, Virginia for my undergrad, um, which is a historically black college. Is that the real that HU? Would or? The, <laughs> that would be the real HU. Okay. Yeah, that's All right. right. Pir- Pirate Pride, uh, my home by the sea. It's actually homecoming weekend, but I'm not there. Uh, and then fresh out of Hampton University, I headed back to Michigan uh, and started with an ad agency, McCann Erickson. Um, and I've spent probably almost 15 years in the ad market in Detroit. Um, the first eight years I spent on the account management side, I've worked on everything from Chevy to McDonald's to OnStar. Uh, and then made a strange transition uh, into human resources uh, as a recruiter as well as a generalist. Um, I did a little bit of, uh, quote-unquote, diversity work uh, for a little while at a few agencies. And then just in the last 18 months, I made the leap into a new market, came to Chicago, uh, and uh, and landed at another IPG agency called Weber Shanwick um, and responsible for the central region that includes Chicago, my home, Detroit, uh, Dallas, as well as uh, Minneapolis and St. Louis. Um, wow. So, yeah, that's a little bit about me. Quite a journey. So let's go back a little bit. Um, do you remember what was that moment when you kind of stumbled upon the advertising agent uh the you know, advertising industry and really started to consider trying to enter it. Absolutely. I was at Hampton University. I was a junior. I was a marketing and finance major, which is funny because uh, I don't particularly care for math or anything finance related, but it was something that a lot of people pushed me into because they said it would be a lucrative career coming out of uh, undergrad. Um, But I stumbled upon uh, a marketing class. It was Consumer Behavior 101 uh, and started to learn about uh, the magic of uh, consumer behavior as well as marketing. Um, And it was almost like a huge aha moment for me because it was an opportunity to blend kind of the science of, uh, of humans and then also the business side of things. So right. it was a really nice uh, marriage that I thought, oh, my goodness, that's something that I probably would do well in. Um, and then I had some friends, uh, I think, as we all do, a lot of entrepreneurial uh, focused people who were trying to kind of build their businesses on campus. And I had a really good friend, his name is Carl Reindorf, 
who started a marketing company. And he asked me to kind of take a look at job descriptions and asked me if I could give my thoughts on that. And I came across a job description for an account executive. And that's when I decided that that's what I wanted to do uh, as a junior uh, in college. Wow. So you graduate, um, you go back home to Detroit. So what was the experience of looking for a job? Was it sending resumes? What, what, What was that like for a woman minority? Absolutely. So coming out of Hampton um, and then going back into, uh, I guess, the quote unquote real world, um, I was in a position where uh, it was the late 90s um, and the economy was great. Um, And so within that, Detroit was one of the largest ad markets. And so I jumped right in and sent my resume out um, for you young folks who have no idea what it's like to fax a resume and drop <laughs> resumes off at, at, uh, at agencies, but it was, uh, it was really an amazing fertile ground for, for opportunities. They were postings every day. Um, there were things in the newspaper. We didn't have the internet yet, obviously not to date myself. Um, but I never thought about, Oh, this would be a challenge as a woman of color or, or even a woman. I just started kind of sending my resumes out, um, and started getting interviews and started meeting with, um, lots of people, um, and really was able to land something really fast. Okay, um, so it was a short so process. It, it, it was a really short process. It was probably, I started looking in um, September, and I started in my first role in October. Oh, wow. Yeah, that was really quick. Yeah. yeah. So a young junior account person. <laughs> That's yeah. a, that can be pretty challenging. Um, kind of get kind of explain for our young people who you know have never stepped foot into an ad, uh, agency what that's like kind of balancing between not only your own department but dealing with all the other departments that you have to deal with. Absolutely. So um, back then, pre-technology, I think it was one of the biggest influences in terms of how I I have been successful was coming out of uh, that entry-level role, um, the good and the bad. Um, But you would start in this pool called traffic coordinators, and you really were the conduit and the communication uh, conduit for everything that happened in the agency. It was almost like we were the Internet almost or we were email. I mean, there, there was no email. Um, if, if you, as my creative director needed to make a change on a particular ad, um, we would print out the ad as the creative director, you would circle what needed to be changed. And I would physically take that piece of paper, um, and move it to the next person, which could have been a copy editor. It could have been the writer. It could have been the account person. Um, and we call those pieces of paper, we call them routers. And we were responsible for routing all that information um, throughout the entire agency. And so what that did as a coordinator was it allowed me to see how we functioned um, on all verticals. Um, I talked to everyone from the CEO all the way down to the people in the mailroom who would physically mail out our advertisements to the publications. Um, so I had an opportunity to meet everyone in that building, which, to be um, honest, uh, there were some people that were very welcoming and there were some people that were not. Um, so, again, it was one of those opportunities where you had to learn to speak to um, and communicate with and get information from people that wanted to be a team player and those that were not tolerant at all. Um, so in, in those days, you couldn't hide behind a screen um, or some sort of avatar or, or, your, or your typed word. You literally had to be present um, and face-to-face with people. 
Now, did your company have a mentorship program? And if they didn't, um, did you, were you able to find willing mentors to kind of help you along the way? No, no. In fact, uh, so um, being a young woman and, and also being uh, being black in, in the late 90s, uh, joining uh, the agency, I was one of three. Um, and there was probably at the time, uh, maybe about a thousand people there. Myself, there was another young man. Uh, I think it was Chris. I sure wish I could remember his last name. And then there was another woman, and she was quite senior. She'd already been in the business probably about 10 or 15 years by then. Um, and obviously, I used to call it being the only as loneliest. Um, <laughs> you know, you you uh, you seek out people that look like you. Um, and I did seek her out, and she sought me out as well. And I and I got an opportunity to uh, to speak with her about just kind of being there and how to get acclimated quickly. Um, and so, uh, there was no mentorship. You literally had to kind of figure it out. And it was, and it was really, really hard, especially coming from, uh, coming from Hampton. It was, it was such a culture shock, um, to, to drop in there and then to recognize after, you know, the, the honeymoon was over, um, you know, you were one of three, uh, and not necessarily always welcome. So no, there was, there was no mentorship program. Uh, and there wasn't anybody that was necessarily willing, um, to kind of give you the ins and outs of, of how, how the organization functioned. And, and we, we hear, you know, culture shock a lot. Like, uh, can we talk specifically about like, is it, is it more on the, the social end of things? Do you think it's a communication, um, gap? Um, what do you think specifically adds to that culture shock? Absolutely. Um, it's all of those things. So, um, I went to, I grew up in a predominantly, uh, white school. So it wasn't that I didn't know how to function, uh, in a world that looked different than me every day. Um, there is a, there's, there's a twofold that happens when you're in the corporate space. One, it's predominantly white. And if you are not of that, um, it's also predominantly male. Um, and there's also a huge corporate, um, culture that happens that there, that you don't necessarily get the playbook. Um, so not knowing how to navigate within that can be a challenge. Um, and so the shock that comes from culture is, you know, it could be little things like how you write an email, how you present uh, information, how you carry yourself um, within the organization, even down to what you look like, what your hair looks like, what you're wearing. Um, all of those things are factors in terms of how you are seen um, as uh, an employee there and whether or not you'll be successful or not. And then so how do you overcome that gap and, and to, to keep from becoming an outsider, to keep from starting to um, kind of withdrawal and um, starting to live on the fringe? How do you overcome it? So those are all really good questions because those are that's what happens. Um, if you are not strong in yourself um, and your abilities, those things will happen to you. Um I had, uh, I had a woman tell me, um, and it's, this is going to sound so horrible, but it, it's true. Um, she told me as I was kind of going through my, uh, matriculating through my career, she was like, you know, to be successful in these agencies as a person of color, um, you know, you aren't going to, you're not going to sell out a little bit. You're going to sell out a lot of it. Um, and you can, if you're not careful, you can lose yourself within that culture. Um, and so some of the things that she 
recommended to me was when you go to work, you're at work and the person that you send to work is excellent. You make sure that you are present, that you are, uh, you are a contributor, that you are a partner, that you're doing all those things. Um, that will make you quote unquote successful. Like if you had to benchmark it to a job description or to goals for your upcoming year, all those things that I think are success measure measures. Um, but as a person of color, you have to be really careful about the personal side of yourself. Like I, I personally am, am a little bit more careful in terms of how much of my personal life I bring to work. Um, I, and I don't, to be honest with you, um, you know, if you want to know the real, real, Um, you know, I, like even in my office, like I don't have a ton in my office is lovely. Um, you know, it's got a lot of things in it that would represent my personality, but I don't necessarily bring my personal life here. I don't, you know, I don't talk about my family a lot. I don't necessarily talk about my friends, um, you know, which is different because culturally, you know, you can come in here and I know everything about everybody that I work with. I know about their children and their husbands and their things, but there, it's, it's a strange, um, it's a strange dichotomy because, um, being one of very few, um, it's not like, I guess what I say is, is while they are, um, while they are open and they work with us, it's not like they're going to say, Oh, let's be best friends and come to my house. Like that's just not a thing. Um, I was talking to a really good friend of mine um, and I've watched her grow in her career too. We talk a lot about diversity uh, in the agency space. Um, And she said something just the other day that was just so prolific. She was like the struggle outside of the agency world is no different than the struggle that happens on the inside. We are just as segregated internally as we are when we are outside of our office. Um, and, but I think we try to pretend and create this Petri dish of quote unquote acceptance, tolerance and diversity. But I think we're at a point where we probably need to redefine what diversity is. It's not what we used to think that it is. Um, and, and that is, that is what has become the struggle. And that's what I think causes people of color to feel very isolated and and on the fringe. Um, If you recall, when you and I worked together, there was a time, I think there was about, had to be at least about 20 to 25 people of color that worked with us. Um, And that was so comforting, like to know that there are other people that understand who you are, even at the most surface level, not to say that just because we're both black, that we know everything or that we agree or that, you know, we all understand each other, but there is a level of comfort to know that, you know, you aren't the only one. No one likes to feel like they're the only one. If you flipped it and you were in an all black agency, you know, if there was a young white woman, she wouldn't feel awesome about being the only person there. You know, I would never feel awesome in a room with 40 men and I'm the only woman. So like, those are the things that become difficult is, is you become isolated knowing that the struggle outside the office building is still going on. It's no different than the struggle that's happening on the inside of the building. Oh, so, so true, especially in that environment. So what, what pushed you to be above and beyond? Was it, was it your difference that kind of like, you know, became a positive? I, I can speak for myself in that, you know, I was the only black in my department for probably six years when I first got in advertising and, um, I tried really, really hard to prove that I deserved to be there. Whether I needed to do that or not, that was an internal motivation. Because um, I didn't want to, I didn't want to feel or, or you know, be perceived as the token, you know, 
So what yeah. what what like really motivated you? Could could it have been the fact that you were you were one of the only ones that like pushed you over the top? Um, I think maybe subconsciously. Um, but I always, I, you know, I approach life. You know, I'm I'm exactly where I want to be because I chose that. So like one of my mantras is that I can go anywhere that I choose and I can be whatever I want to be. So. Um, in my own mind, and, you know, maybe that's a little arrogant, um, it's what I really wanted to do. Like, I, I genuinely had a love for the marketing and media space. So I, I wanted to be there. Um, and people's challenges with me, I kind of always approached it as that that's their problem. Um, and that because I am excellent at what I want to do, that my work always precedes whatever type of, uh, you know, whatever their perception of me is, um, you could never question my work ethic, which I won't lie. Over the years, I've bumped into bosses. I had one boss uh, that told me it was so threatened. It was so crazy. Um, He was uh, my manager in human resources. Uh, And he stopped inviting me to meetings. He stopped uh, really talking to me. He made it really difficult for me to get information. He told everybody that I was working with that they should contact him first and then he would deploy the information to me so that I became very tactical as opposed to being very strategic, um, which was a different approach than how I've been working for, I don't know, six, seven years by then. Um, And I finally pulled him into a conference room and I was like, what's going on? And do you know, he looked me in the face and he said, I'm afraid that you're going to take my job. Wow. And I looked, (laughs) right. And I thought to myself, as a manager, I would love to have somebody underneath me that was as driven as I was, right? Because as a manager, you, your people are a reflection of you. Um, and so there shouldn't be any type of worry or jealousy or resentment in terms of somebody that is, that wants to grow and wants to be excellent. If you are seven, eight, 10 years your subordinate senior, there are, there's a reason why you're their manager. And so it's, it was in those experiences that I've had where um, while you, while people want to kind of tear you down or pull you out of the process, you, you still cannot take away how great I am within the same, that it's same job. Um, they, so they moved him out from being my manager and gave me someone else. Um, and even within that, and you know how advertising is people, um, the personality sometimes can be so challenging, like very challenging, uh, to navigate politics are difficult to navigate. Um, and they put me on a performance improvement plan. I got put on a PIP and I was devastated because I didn't even understand why. And my, the head of HR told me that my confidence made her managers feel uh, made them feel less than, made them feel intimidated, um, and that I needed to pare down my personality. Um, wow. and, and yeah. Um, and so again, within that, you know, your, your initial question, you know, what pushes me, um, it is my internal drive to continue to do well in, in this space. I know how fortunate I am to, to be able to come to work every day and to sit in an office. Um, you know, I, you know, we've got, you know, our, our counterparts out there that, that are working um, minimum wage jobs. Um, and so I, I take this very seriously and it's, and I, and I know the gift that I've been given. And so I just keep pushing. Um, even when there's a barrier, I just keep pushing. 
Nice. So talk to me about the switch from, you know, going from the account side to HR, because it is a pretty unique switch. I don't think I've met any other people who've made that jump. It's a pretty unique jump. Yeah. Um, So account service was wonderful. It allowed me to learn everything I needed to about how the business works. Obviously, things have changed quite a bit as we bring technology into the fold, but I still have a good sense of what we produce as an agency, the creative, the strategy, um, analytics, and then the relationships that that uh, our account people have. Um, and so being on that side, um, it made me really curious about the people that work there, the teams that we build, and how, how agencies can be award-winning, how agencies uh, win new business, how agencies continue to have really awesome streams of revenue. Um, and so it became, I think I was asked to talk to a lot of college students, like, you know, what are you doing? How, you know, it just kind of came that natural thing where, you know, they kind of pull you and ask you to do that. And, you know, a, a side note on that is a lot of times agencies will also pull people of color in to do that to like kind of look like they're diverse. Um, and so I, <laughs> we I both do, know that I quite know, well. For sure, for sure. So I do know that where that came from as well. Um, and then it became, I really love talking about the business. I really love getting people excited about what we do. And it was a natural transition into um, into recruiting. And, I, and to be perfectly honest with you, I kind of got burnt out on the account management side because um, by nature, I'm uh, a nurturer, a fixer. Uh, and I like to bring people together. And so it became, a, it was a really natural transition for me to move into the HR and, uh, and the recruiting space. Yeah, I can hear the passion that you have for it. Um, you know, diversity and inclusion, diversity versus inclusion. Um, those are hot topics right now. Tons of industry articles, panel discussions. Does that stuff actually trickle back down to people like you who are hiring or or, or do we have these big panel discussions at like ad week or something and then everybody goes home they feel better about talking about it and then nothing gets resolved correct um i think i am all for it you and i both have done uh i call it the diversity hamster wheel um you know we have spoken about it we've talked about it we know that it's a problem and i'm thankful that uh, I want to say we probably started hearing that word diversity maybe like 2004. Um, so like we saw all the stuff come out of New York with the Human Rights Commission. That was a big deal. Um, and then it became, oh my gosh, how do we how do we build this or how do we we have the conversation? And so the conversation was started, you know, 10, 12 years ago, which was necessary. But in terms of how it trickles down to people like myself and the HR and the HR leads and the recruiters themselves is it doesn't. Um, And the reason why is because um, we are asked from a recruiting perspective to find resources quickly um, because it's all attached to revenue. So if we don't have people in seats, if we're not able to produce and to bill those hours, we lose money. So we have to move very quickly in terms of finding people that can do the job and do do it well. Um, And so I think just like anything, you know, outside of our our own our own industry resourcing is a challenge. Um, if you read all the trades outside of, of advertising, that's the number one problem is finding great talent, let alone how do we fix this problem that we started at the very beginning when we were not inclusive 
Um, so how do I find the right talent to do the job that we need to do? And, and working in advertising is um, a very specialized skill, even though it feels like we need people all the time that do what we do. It's not. Um, and not only that, but how do we find um, people uh, like yourself and myself um, that would be interested uh, and to come into an organization um, that has historically not been inclusive? So we are up against a wall to quickly make sure that we fill these seats um, and we find the right talent to do it. So it's a great conversation, but there is a disconnect in terms of how we do it. And so if you're not aware um, of, of that challenge and if you're not, if you don't approach the recruiting practice uh, in an uh, inclusive way, um, then you move very fast. So we hire a lot of referrals. I love referrals. It's almost like getting a co-signer, right? Like if, if Corey says, hey, Rebecca, I know these four awesome people. I see that you've got four jobs. I am more likely to call your referrals because I trust you. I've worked with you. And then my hiring managers, they work with me. They trust me. So then again, it becomes so much easier to hire the people that we know that we've worked with than to say, oh, okay, we're going to put time and effort into getting somebody up to speed um, and get them immersed into our world. Um, and then add on to that, like, how do we find, you know, diverse talent um, as well? So to answer your question, uh, it's a conversation starter, but there's still a disconnect between how those conversations happen at the highest level and how do they get all the way down to um, recruiters. And recruiters are generally maybe two to six years um, of experience. Um, and so they're getting their feet wet in terms of how does an organization work? What are we looking for? Working with your hiring managers. And so when we add that on to it as well, um, it's a problem. So I was telling somebody the other day that it's not that the talent is out there. It's just that as a recruiter, we're up against the wall. Like for myself, I'm the only recruiter right now for the entire central region. We've got a thousand people between all of the offices that we support. So I might have 10 or 15 jobs. Um, and every hiring manager is freaking out because we need to get these people in place because it's not just the revenue stream, but we're also, everybody's so taxed and lean, we really need an extra set of hands. Um, so even if I did find 10 awesome people of color that have a marketing background, if they haven't been in the agency, it would take a lot of time to get them onboarded and we'd have to give a lot of grace in terms of how quickly they could get on board and up to speed. So um, it's hard. It's, it's, it's a really difficult problem that we haven't cracked the code on. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I <laughs> think that referral gap is, is probably one of the biggest ones, right? Because, you know, mm -hmm. I feel like, you know, I, I hear about people within organizations, you know, they'll say, hey, there's this job available. And, you know, before the job even gets out to the public, it's already filled because somebody within the organization said, hey, I got a buddy, you know, who does that. And they end up getting the job before, you know, the masses even got a chance to know about it. So I feel like especially Absolutely. because of um, the demographics are so weighted in the other direction against us, it's kind of hard. Most of those referrals are going to come from white men and they're going to be for white men. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I think what's so difficult about that is because it's not, while it might've started out from a malicious perspective, you know, anything that is uninclusive and, uh, and you are not allowed to come to the party, 
um, it has created where we are now. So while they don't think that it comes from a malice place, um, it is still, you know, it is still a problem. It is still, you know, they don't, well, you know, these are just the people that I know. But back to my original statement about, you know, who I, how I show up to work and, and what I decide to share with my colleagues, you know, we're not neighbors. We don't live in the same neighborhood. Um, we don't, from a social perspective, our children do not play together. Um, uh, so, like, again, the struggle externally is no different than the struggle that is happening internally. In fact, I found out just the other day, I've got a couple of ECDs here, um, one that sits in a sister agency that happens to be in our building, and I, and I recruit for both of them. They're neighbors. They're neighbors. <laughs> like, who knew that they would be neighbors? Which is fine. But, again, like, if you take a peek at you know, you're talking about the referral process and, and how we do that. Their neighbors, their children play together. Um, they probably, they have the same clubs, all of those different things. Um, you tend to hire people that you know. You tend to hire people that you trust. You tend to hire people um, that you're familiar with. Um, and so while none of these people mean any harm to anyone um, because it's such an insular community and it does not and it is not inclusive that is our challenge i think you touched on a good point because i think you know when you when you start talking about diversity and inclusion a lot of a lot of times um people feel like they're being accused of being racist or evil or or, or something you know very malicious right when in reality it's simply the lack of consideration is the problem right like to not consider a different possibility. Um, I see it all the time um, from the creative um, lens in casting, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> right. It, it, it's so easy to go into a uh, room and cast the same people over and over, but it's guess what? It's just as easy to cast different people. But, you know, just yeah. raising that question of awareness of about, about consideration is huge. Um, what's the mood? of this new generation that's coming into advertising? Are they excited? Are they overwhelmed? Are they, do they feel like they can truly succeed? What's the mood? Um, okay, so that's a wonderful question. Um, so in the last 18 months I moved from, I've already hopped once and I, I am a hopper, which is a thing. Um, even that in itself is a different perspective, is a different way or a different approach in terms of how we move through our careers. I just, uh, I posted on Facebook a, about a couple of weeks ago, um, and, uh, labor force is so different now with the, with the younger generation joining us where they don't have the desire to be at any one company for, for a long time. In fact, they like projects. They like things that have a beginning, a middle and an end. Um, because it keeps them stimulated. And so, but we still have leadership who finds and sees value in people staying in roles and responsibilities for a long time. Um, they feel very, and, we, and I think we see that across a lot of different, a lot of different places in terms of, of what the generations um, find uh, a value. Buying homes, you should buy a home and pay a 30 year mortgage. That's not how this generation these things, they want to move about and feel a little bit more transient. I want to, you know, they, I want to be able to go and I want to have my life, my life and my work life should be all one and the same. I should be able to travel wherever I want to go 
Um, and, but I'm still tied in. I've got my phone. I've got my laptop. I've got my iPad. It doesn't really matter where I am because we're so connected that we don't physically need to be with each other on a regular basis. And that is how they're approaching it. The challenge is when you have leadership who have been doing this for so long and have such, um, they have such a, uh, a connection and, and such um, their expectations are that we need to stay and be tethered to our desks and that, you know, you only move and matriculate through your career once you put the time in. Um, and so that, that is, is a challenge for our young people. And it's a challenge for people that are even like the Gen X and our baby boomers at, who are at the most senior level. So when I first got to Chicago, I joined um, a digital agency, which skews super young um, and not to date myself, but my goodness, the majority of the people that I hired were 15 years my seat, my junior. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, fresh, fresh out of school. And then, um, uh, and even my, even my boss was younger than I was. And so their approach to work and they work very hard. I will tell you that like all these things out here, whether they're memes or whether they're articles, my experiences, um, they work ridiculously hard. They want to be a part of the conversation. They want to be a part of um, how things uh, how things change. They want to be a part of of all the inner workings of how an organization works. They just want it so fast. Right. And you know the powers that be feel like you have to earn that over time. So like that is that is the, the biggest disconnect that I see between the two of them. But they are very excited. Um, they are the ones that are showing us the new media. While the communication might be a little bit different, um, the messages are still the same. But in terms of the conduit, those are the things that have changed for us. And so I think we would be remiss if we continue to dismiss um, these millennials in terms of what they can bring to the table. Because if we're not careful, you know, we won't, we can't learn from them. You know, from a technology perspective, I think it was probably early or mid 2000s when the concept of digital native versus digital immigrant, you know, came into play, you know, they grew up in this, they know what it looks like. They know how it works. They know where it's moving. Um, but they're all excited. They definitely want to, they want to join us. They just don't know how to get in. Um, you know, when we got into the business, you know, a lot of the people in leadership positions were, mid fifties, late fifties, sixties, mid sixties, late sixties. <laughs> right. And now in, in, in 2016, when I look around, I don't see that same, um, I, 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 I don't, I don't see that same landscape. Uh, I'm 43 now. And, you know, one of the things I think about is, is this an industry that we can grow old in? Yeah, that's a good question. I was asking a good friend of mine. Um, she's a strategist in Detroit. Um, she's a strategist. She also did media. She also did analytics. And she's always giving me the insights of how media is changing as well. And I'm always trying to adapt it to the people, right? So that's how I approach recruiting. The same way I approach marketing, I approach it the same way with teams. And I ask the same question. With advertising and the idea of large retainers, um, all of those different things is in, in what media looks like, whether it's paid or it's earned. If that's going to change and alter um, and be faster and, um, and result or to be quicker, does that mean like the people that are going to be doing it? That's a really great point. Like, will it be us as we continue to get older um, or will it be the youngins that understand how the technology works? 
Um, because if the structure of an agency changes, the way that agent, that clients are asking for, for work from us, um, you know, I don't know the answer to that question. I don't, I am not seeing um, a lot of the older people uh, around anymore. Like, I, you know, it's rare to bump into somebody. Like all the people that we worked with that were in their 40s and 50s and some of them almost 60s, they're all gone. You know, either they um, unfortunately were managed out um, or, you know, the business just didn't call for that that anymore. Um, you know, dealer work, you know, we used to work with a lot of, you know, dealers from an automotive perspective that was, that was a total driven by older males. Um, and that has changed, you know, what is going to happen? Can you grow old uh, in this industry? Um, I don't think you can unless you are willing to learn all of the new, unless you're willing to, to reach back and, um, and, and reach to the young ones that are coming up and to learn from them. I think it's going to be very difficult to have longevity in this. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. <laughs> totally. So, um, I got one last question. Um, yeah. Is it getting better? <laughs> are th- are things, yeah. Are things getting better for people of color, for minorities, for women? Are things getting better? Wow, that one thing. The more things, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Um, I feel like, and it'd be interesting to hear your perspective. I feel like there was a time when we talked a lot about what was happening externally and how it was affecting us internally. And I think you know, you and I were both in on that uh, in the early 2000s. Um, we were coming out of the 90s. There was a lot of uh, folks was woke <laughs> back mm-hmm. then. Um, and then all of a sudden we just all went to sleep and there were things happening. Like you see it in the agencies, you, you see people coming up, uh, and having position, taking positions of, of influence, not necessarily power, but influence. Um, you see people, taking roles like chief diversity officers, but chief diversity officers are not connected to human resources, let alone the recruiters. Um, so while they have influence, they're not pulling the strings. And so I haven't seen a ton of change. It'd be really interesting to share and talk about, like even in the New York space, like have they moved their numbers? I confidently would say they have not. Um, so while I, I think that we are quote unquote tolerant, which I hate that word, like you shouldn't have to tolerate me. You should, we should just be able to be, um, I don't think it's as uncomfortable to be black in an agency. Well, not all the agencies, there are some that it is quite uncomfortable. Um, you know, it's not uncomfortable being a woman, uh, in most agencies, but we have a long way to go because we do need to figure out how do we get people of color, um, and not just black people, Hispanics, Asians, more women, um, in positions that have power and not just influence. Um, you know, I constantly have to tell people that in an organization where there are 500 people, just because you have 30 black people, that's not diverse. That's not inclusive. That's still a really small percentage of the pie. Um, and so I think we, again, we have a long way to go, but it's not as bad as it, it was, but I think we still have a, a lot of work to do in terms of how we do that. And I think the biggest way is we have to redefine what the word diversity means. 
Um, and I think we need to stop using the word tolerance because it is not kind. Um, you know, it's actually very passive aggressive saying that, okay, you can be here and I won't mention, you know, that I'm not particularly happy that you're here, but I won't not close the door in your face. Um, yeah, so that's just my two cents. (laughs) Wow. Well, Rebecca, this was a great talk. Uh, and I think it will inform a lot of young people, um, and, and even some that are still in the industry. So thank you for sharing your expertise today. Absolutely. It was, it was really great. I look forward to, uh, to hearing all of your podcasts and I will uh, share it with everyone. But again, if anyone ever wants to chat about um, uh, your career and, and any of those things, uh, feel free to reach out. I'm on LinkedIn, you know, Rebecca Sanders um, and happy to chat and happy to help. Perfect. Will do. All right. Thank you. Take care. Absolutely. You too. Bye. You're listening to the Talented Others podcast.